music in both of these movies is like great. I really oh my gosh. I could like so clearly picture like a beautiful like rap <laughs> song. Modern rap, like I want SZA to take the song from when Carrie's going slow mo up the stairs. Yeah, like a SZA song. Yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, Tangerine Dreams, mm-hmm. uh, who did Firestarter, scored the movie without seeing it, which is so funny. That's uh, <laughs> and also. Um, when, um, the Duffer brothers were making like this mock trailer of, uh, Stranger Things, they used like the score for Ah, their mock trailer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, That makes sense because it does sound a lot like Stranger Things. They copied so much Firestarter. (laughs) It's crazy. But let's get into it. Okay. Hello and welcome to Chick Flicks. I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell, and in this episode of Chick Flicks, we're talking about the movies Carrie and Firestarter, which are both adaptations of Stephen King novels. But first, let's catch up. So, I think we both devoted many hours of our past week <laughs> to Mindhunter Season 2. Yeah, and it was like a lot better than Season 1, in my opinion. I was surprised. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of shows where it's like the second season is like the season they have to justify their existence. You know, it's like if you told like a good story in season one, sometimes Mm -hmm. there's not really a good reason to keep it going, Mm -hmm. but I thought they justified their existence like super well. Yeah. It's like they listened to our podcast about it and we're like, Oh, let's take some notes. (laughs) Less Holden, uh, more Bill and Wendy, (laughs) more black Uh, people. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. Um, I, at first I was like really worried about them taking on a case like, the Atlanta child murders, but I think they did a really good job mm-hmm. of depicting that and showing law enforcement's like inability to kind of like help the community in the way they needed to be helped. And mm-hmm. also like the ambiguity surrounding their final arrest, I thought was like really, really well done and they didn't yeah. like sugarcoat it at all. Yeah. Sorry. Spoilers for real life events and <laughs> Mindhunter events. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I liked that. I basically echo everything you just said. <laughs> yeah. I did like groan when they did Manson because I was like, this is, just feels like they're touching something too big and too recognizable. And it you was, know? I was, I, I guess I sort of almost, I kind of almost liked it a little bit now that I think about it because it was so forgettable and so silly mm. and just so like, I don't know. It just like, they were like, look at this guy that everyone's obsessed with and it's just, he's just like pathetic. I don't know. I liked yeah. that sort of, I guess. I did and they, see if, yeah. They built him up too in the first season, mm. and then they were like, "Actually, like he didn't even kill anybody." <laughs> yeah, uh, like uh, that, but also like he's just like not—he's he, like a crazy, like liar who needs like attention, and it's just yeah, like, he's like a child almost. Yeah. When they started talking about him, I said to Tim, my boyfriend, I was like, Ugh, "Why would they even interview Manson? He didn't kill anybody directly." And then, like a minute later, Wendy Carr is like, "Why would we even interview Manson? He never killed anyone directly." And I was like, oh, "Wow." <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, yeah, I saw I saw a few critics pointing out that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Mindhunter, who both used the same actor as Manson, coincidentally, oh. um, don't really like dwell on or talk about that he was like a white supremacist at all, which mm-hmm. is interesting. In the context of both of these properties, like mm-hmm. this season is about like the disappearance of like black children in, a, mm-hmm. in Atlanta and like mm-hmm. the communities in, in action, mm-hmm. um, and that they wouldn't like to. I, I just thought that was a, an interesting note to make. Right? Yeah. They like mention it briefly, but don't. They're talk like, about do we it. really believe that it's like over a race war? 
you know. Yeah. But yeah, Manson sucked. He had a fucking I, swastika in his head. Yeah. And I like that like Holden was sort of like a fan I mean he's a fanboy like of all these serial killers basically, but like in this one he sort of Yeah, he he becomes like a little like humbled almost. Yeah, and but well, and also like it's like oh th- this is like almost like his hero or I don't know, it's just like someone that he is like obsessed with and it's like mm-hmm. oh he's pathetic. I don't know. It was sort of like sticking it to the people that are like obsessed with serial killers. Yeah. Yeah. So really enjoyed it. Like I hope they don't cancel it. I'm now frightened that Netflix is going to cancel like everything I love. Yeah. I Um, agree. What, what else are you into Mackenzie this week? Uh, I'm into this, uh, short, like just over an hour claymation movie on Netflix called my life as a zucchini, which came out a few years ago. And, like was a big splash on the scene i think it was nominated might have won like an oscar or something for animation but i finally watched it and it was so sweet and cute it's about a group of kids at an orphanage um and it's like how i mean it's easy to make that like very touching and adorable so that's so sweet but it's very good so the third thing i'm into is um my friend, shout out to Nicole, who lets me use her Audible, and I don't pay a dime for it. God bless Fuck her. Fuck you, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> um, but she has this, like, uh, extra subscription. So she's subscribed to Audible, but you can also do an unlimited subscription to the escape genre or whatever, Ooh. which is just romance. And it's like an extra $6 a month or something. And you can have like unlimited in that genre. So we just listen to romance novels at work. I love it. <laughs> and it's so good. Because like, I feel like romance novels, a lot of them are like, not that great. And so I mean, because there's so many, and y- you can kind of just like, not, if you zone out for a few minutes and miss something you're not really missing something so it's good cool. for like work I, um I don't know if I should npr did a really big good list of best romance novels a couple of years ago mm-hmm. we're uh, very into the fantasy genre though so if it doesn't mm-hmm. have elves or magical powers <laughs> no they did so they did subcategories too you should oh, definitely okay. check it out i will um <laughs> the other stuff i'm into this week uh i get this weekly uh, newsletter subscription um, by the journalist Ann Friedman, which I really enjoy, called Dan Friedman Weekly. It's a nice thing to arrive in your inbox on Friday afternoon when you are avoiding work or done with all your work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a collection of links to different things that she's reading or listening to or, or watching. And um, she always has her eyes in like corners of the internet that I'm not in normally. Mm-hmm. So it's like good to get exposure to a lot of the topics that she's um, digging through. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I wanted to uh, talk about was I'm like, I know this makes me sound so old and so late, but I'm like super into the idea of Billie Eilish as like a pop star. Okay. And I love that. Um, so little Nas famously, just broke a ton of records mm-hmm. uh, with Old Town Road. He was number one for like 19 weeks, you mm-hmm. know, which is like almost half a year. <laughs> um, and uh, and now Billie Eilish is number one with her song Bad Guys. Mm-hmm. And so both Katy Perry and Taylor Swift, for the first time in their careers, like released 
or at least think at least for Taylor Swift, like release new music that did not like chart as number one because of Billie Eilish and Lil Nas. That's and cool. I just love thinking about it as like the new like a dawn of a new age of pop music where mm-hmm. it's like weirdos kind of, you know, yeah. or like just people really outside of genre. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I love Billie Eilish. Like wears these baggy clothes. She's mm-hmm. like such a weird, uh, commentary on like what it is to be a pop star now, but yeah, it's a good song too. Like, <laughs> me, like I, yeah. to full on 10 years older than her. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's really cool. I like her too. She's very cool. She's very fresh. Yeah. All right, Mackenzie, are you ready to get into our Stephen King episode? Yeah, Part our one? first one of oh. a whole month full of Stephen King. Get ready, Hell yeah. All right, first up is Carrie from 1976. Carrie White is 16 years old when she first gets her period. Blood slides down her legs as she washes herself in the locker room shower. And ignorant of its cause, Carrie panics and screams. Her classmates laugh and pelt Carrie with tampons, taunting her to plug it up. They have no way of knowing that the arrival of Carrie's first menstrual cycle has awakened telekinetic powers in the friendless misfit. Her fanatical mother suspects Carrie's powers to be the result of possession and tightens her grip over her meek daughter. Carrie's classmate and former tormentor, Sue Snell, begs her boyfriend to take Carrie to prom, to give her one night to be a normal girl. But Carrie's turn as the high school Cinderella is cut brutally short by a bucket full of pig's blood. Spurned one last time by her peers, Carrie lays waste to the high school prom. Um, this was my first Stephen King book that I read too. Oh, isn't it the first one he wrote? First one he wrote, fourth one, I think to get published. Oh, okay. Or I have that backwards and it's the fourth one he wrote and it's the first one to get published. I think this is the first one he wrote because I remember him like the story of him like throwing it in the trash or whatever and his Uh wife getting it out. The other story that I really (laughs) love about. Uh, the Kim writing Carrie is that he was a high school teacher at a time at the time and his wife worked at a donut shop and they lived in a trailer with their three kids and he sold Carrie for $400,000 like a huge amount of money they had been living on like $16,000 at the time oh. yeah and he was talking he got the phone they didn't even own a phone he had to be like called at like a different location and he got the phone call and he was like so paralyzed with excitement where he was like, what can I do for my wife, Tabitha? Like, what nice thing can I get her? Mm-hmm. So he like ran out to Rite Aid and he bought her like a $40 hair dryer. <laughs> and when she came home, it was on the table and she was like, what the fuck? Like, what'd you get this for? We can't yeah. afford this. And he yeah. was like, I have something to tell you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Isn't that so cute? That's amazing. I love that. Oh my God. I know. So this was their meal ticket. Um, but it's a really good book. They do it. Um, he writes it through, um, like it's interspersed with newspaper articles and like mm-hmm. government reports, um, kind of like treating the white incident where she basically like destroys the whole town at the end of it. Um, and I think he does an okay job getting inside like teen girl dynamics, mm-hmm. but I think the movie does too. One part that I loved was when Chris, who is the mean girl and who's mm-hmm. like sets up Carrie to get the pig blood on her she's like hooking up with john travolta in a car and she is like starting to go down on him but she's still like plotting i think she's like starting to go down on him but she's like i hate carrie white or something and i'm like i just love that she was like still thinking about carrie like even though she was hooking up with this guy i was just like 
I was like, you know what? Like, girls don't give a fuck about boys. Like, yeah, that's or true. They shouldn't. <laughs> it, true. Even if they're plotting against, <laughs> plotting against another girl, they should be thinking yeah. about girls. <laughs> I thought. I mean, like, it shows the the range of teenage girls to be like super terrible, cruel, and sadistic, and then mm-hmm. also like sweet and good. Like mm-hmm. Sue Snell. Uh, you know, like learns a lesson and like mm-hmm. tries to be like a good person in this movie. Yeah. Um, and I think but- like one of her turning points is when she does see Carrie's mom come to her house and visit with her oh, yeah. own mom and sees like, oh, Carrie's mom is like a fucking crazy person. Maybe like mm-hmm. she's dealing with some like bigger issues that I'm not privy to. I think it made her like see the other side of Carrie's life. And sort of mm-hmm. put herself in someone else's shoes. Yeah. I loved uh, Sue's character. And I really, really love Cincy Spacek as Carrie in this movie. She's so good. Um, I wanted to read Pauline Kale describe uh, Sissy Spacek's performance in her review in The New Yorker, which also came out in 1976. Um, she said, though few actresses have distinguished, distinguished themselves in gothics, Sissy Spacek's Spacek, who is on screen almost continuously, gives a classic chameleon performance. She shifts back and forth and sideways, a nasal whining child pleading for her mother's love, each word scratching her throat as it comes out, a chaste young beauty at the prom, and then a second transformation when her destructive impulses burst out and age her. Sissy Spacek uses her freckled pallor and whitish eyelashes to suggest a squashed, froggy girl who could go in any direction, a time she seems unborn, a fetus. And yeah. I thought that was a great description, too, because mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie, I don't know about you, but you can kind of, like, understand why those girls would be repulsed by uh, Carrie, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's like, kind of disturbing, like, when the gym teacher is also, like, I understood why the girls were, yeah, but, like, freaking out. And it, it was frustrating to see Carrie freaked out about getting her period. It's just her period. Yeah, but she's it's 16. like I don't know. That was like hard. It was. It's hard to watch like an adult admit to feel it, like harboring like resentment towards like a pers- a, child. a child they're responsible for. Sort yeah, of. yeah. But I think like when I I, I love Kale's description like of mm-hmm. the physicality of uh, Sissy Spacek and like another thing that I kept thinking of when she was like drenched in blood at the um, prom and her eyes are like bugging out like super wide. She looks like to me she looks almost like a skull with like flesh melting off her. I don't know. It's just like such a scary image and it's so iconic too. I love that. Yeah, it is. It's very iconic and something I was thinking about while watching both of these movies is actors interpretation of having powers like telekinetic powers uh i mean we recently talked about um stranger things and millie bobby brown came up with the idea to like move her hands around and stuff to like show where she's like focusing her power Mm -hmm. um but both of the young women in these movies or i mean drew Raymer is a child like Mm -hmm. there's no hand movements Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like contained like Mm -hmm. coming like deep from within and her eyes kind of like flare and that's Mm -hmm. all you see yeah um but it's it's very scary and with carrie too i feel like a lot of the direction is uh led uh like we're led in the direction that carrie's powers are pointing from de palma's camera work like and the split screens and everything it's like uh, like for example, she'll. It's just a close up of 
uh, Carrie's face on one side of the screen, but on the other screen, it's like the prom doors like slamming shut. So yeah. you'll see both at the same time and know like what her power mm-hmm. is. I was reading that he did that because he thought it would get too repetitive for it to be like a shot of Carrie flexing and then the mm-hmm. door closing. You know, he'd yeah. rather show them both simultaneously. Yeah. This movie has a lot of like interesting stylistic choices like that. Mm-hmm. Like the scene where um, Carrie and Tommy are on stage getting their crowns mm-hmm. and you kind of see the, the you re- see Sue realize there's pig's blood and try to get out is like done in slow-mo with Mm -hmm. this crazy music. And it's Mm -hmm. just like really ratchets up the tension. Yeah. I think that a lot of, I feel like it's so different from Firestarter because of those stylistic choices. Like, like, uh, it's, it is so contained in a way that like Firestarter does have some of that, I guess, in the way that Drew Barrymore Mm -hmm. is like, showing that she has powers but i feel like it's also very not contained in a lot of ways like mm-hmm. in the special effects and the like cutting back and forth between drew barrymore's face or like the and like the effect of the power and it is get it does get redundant so yeah. i feel like the choice to do like split screen was pretty was like definitely wise <laughs> yeah and i think like not to cross over into Firestarter too soon, but like something that makes Carrie so much better than Firestarter is how much, how like visually inventive, inventive it is compared to Firestarter, you yeah. know, um, where, I mean, the performances are better, mm-hmm. they're more vivid and, um, just like go, go farther. And, uh, Brian De Palma is in just so much more control over like the color palette, uh, his editing, his shot choices, like, just really keep it like even the the jump scare at the end, you know, is like more mm-hmm. exciting than most of Firestarter. Yeah, and uh, that like one second because um, <laughs> it's like a it's this it's like almost genre bending in that it's like this campy teen movie, gothic horror, um, you know, and then like kind of romantic at times too. Um, well, that's you- like so in this other uh, article we read called "Carrie Made Me Want to Be a Critic" by Owen Gleiberman. Um, he says uh it is yes a brazen high school horror movie and also a comedy with roots in the teen exploitation junk of the early 70s it's also a rapturously lyrical cinderella goes to the prompt fairy tale that holds its sincerity up to the light mercilessly mocks it and still somehow believes in it it's also a tale of telekinesis the ingenious special effects driven saga of a loser secretly empowered to move objects by her own repressed rage um Mm -hmm. and it's just I feel like that it is like all those things at one time and it is hard to classify it. And I think in another article we read, it was saying like that when you think of Carrie now, you think of it as like a cult classic or like a Mm. like a campy horror film, but or something like that. But it's like and you do sort of like think of it that way and i think maybe that's because it's like been remade so many times and it's so easy to like dress as carrie for halloween and things like that but it's really just also a great piece of craft i hate saying that but it's true no yeah it 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 so is and uh, it's a really good like marriage of like Brian De Palma's aesthetics and like Ke- Stephen King's or Keevan Stings as I was about to call him. <laughs> oh, well. uh, uh, I did think it was interesting um, to come across a few articles comparing 
Carrie to a school shooter. And I kind of remember, I couldn't find this quote, but I think Stephen King once basically like compared her to that as well. It was like, mm-hmm. she was like a school shooter before we had that like in our vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm a little uncomfortable, obviously with like calling her that or like comparing that. Um, obviously she does like kill all of her classmates in like yeah. a violent outburst after feeling ostracized, which is very similar to a school shooter. But I think, um, the school shooters we know today are these young, angry men who mm-hmm. have like a confluence of other things going on with them or are like radicalized online yeah. or like have misogynistic hate is very common, mm-hmm. like an abuse women in their life mm-hmm. first. So it's not a one for one comparison that really right. works at I def- all. I, I mean, I definitely agree with you that it's like, it's hard to, I like the, the school shooter comparison is like, I, you're right. It's usually like angry young men. Mm-hmm. Um, that are misogynistic. Uh, but I did think actually before you even put this article in the notes, I, when she did start killing people, I was like, shit, this is like hitting me in ways that like, it just, there's so many like s- mass shootings that it affected me in a different way than it had the first time I watched yeah. this movie. Just because I was like, I think the difference is the thing that it has in common is like the tragedy, not yeah. the perpetrator. The scale of the tragedy, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're like the kids like rushing trying to get out of the exactly. Room, you know, like yeah. those visuals are very hard exactly. to take nowadays, yeah. um, for sure. But um, Sissy SpaceX performance too, um, and her like transformation uh, into like this destructive force um, is like really, really like scary and brilliant. Um, Pauline Kale was also pointing out like how sexy Piper Laurie as the mom is where like she, yeah, she was like, um, Piper Laurie and Sissy Spacek both have this different, these different types of, um, pre-Raphaelite beauty and her death scene, the mom's death scene is also like very sexy. Yeah. Like she's like, yeah. like screaming. I was know. thinking about that cause her, like the noises that she makes, I was like, Oh I know, and her whole thing is, like, she hates, she, yeah. you know, has bad associations with sex. and Yeah. It sucks. I mean, this movie does a really good job, though, of making you see, like, almost, like, two two sides to every character, almost. Mm. Like, I think. Like, with the mom, it's, they're, they're I mean, she's, like, a horrible, pers- crazy person. Yeah. But, like, and it makes you think, like, I sometimes forget that people are, like, oh, women are just an evil, like, inherently. Like, there's nothing you can yeah. do about it. You're a woman, so you're, like, a sinner. <laughs> um, and I forget that people, like, think that way. It's crazy. Um, but, so she definitely has that side to her. But then there's, like, moments where she's, like, I don't want you to go to the prom because I don't want you to get laughed at. Or... Uh, at the end when she tells the story of like how she uh I was she like possibly raped? Yeah, yeah. I think it's like marital rape, like it yeah. implied. Yeah. I, I I don't know. There it just like tells you like even her who could be definitely like a one sided just like villain gets mm-hmm. like little moments where you're like, Oh god, just everything is so fucked up. Like even she like was treated yeah. In a horrible way. And, like, no one deserves that, I guess. Yeah. I will say, uh, Mackenzie hasn't seen the 2013 adaptation, uh, but Julianne Moore plays the mom, and she's, like, pretty, really good at it. She takes it to, like, a darker kind of 
uh, level where you, you get more of that two sides too. Oh, okay. We were talking off mic about Chloe Grace Moritz and how she doesn't make a good carry because there's like this tweet about Ben Affleck. That's like Ben Affleck can't be in period movies because he has a face that knows what cell phones are. Mm-hmm. And it's like Chloe Grace Moretz has a face where no one has been mean to her and yeah. she's, you know, take, she's never taken any sort of shit from anyone. Yeah. You know, she's, you could tell uh, it just like rolls off her. Like if someone says something mean to her, she'll say something twice as mean back. That's yeah, what I think. Or, yeah, exactly. And like Sissy Spacek seems like the type of person who in her performance is like carrying around like hurt, like mm-hmm. like a tree, like she has rings of hurt, like just from growing yeah. up and being in this house. Um, and she's so good for that reason. Uh, I will say that Ansel Elgort pay- plays the boyfriend and I'm like, he's got that good doofy boyfriend energy. Mm-hmm. The boyfriend in this, Tommy, looks so much older than he, Harry. I, I put that in my notes too. I was like, this 40? man looks like 30 at least. He has like straight up wrinkles. The sun damage is not know, the, that of a like eighteen year old. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm also like, dude, you're here to be nice to Carrie, but you're still dating Sue, so let's I, chill out I, with these kisses. <laughs> I know. I agree. Uh, yeah, unless it is sad Sue was like. We're breaking up. You have to date Carrie now. And he was yeah. like, okay, for you. Yeah. It's sad how he dies, uh, the bucket hitting his head. Yeah. I like, because I like how he his last words are, what the hell? And he's screaming. Yeah. He's mad at it. I think Oh, he's good. a good guy. Yeah. And he um, is a poet. <laughs> and he was a poet. Yeah. He's sensitive. He's like, you like my poem. And I, when I, when he read his poem and Carrie was like, it's beautiful. And everyone was then making fun of him because they said that. I was like, you know, this is saying something about masculinity too. <laughs> That's, you know, this movie is commenting on a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, Stephen King himself said, Carrie is largely about how, this is about the book, Carrie is largely about how women find their own channels of power and what men fear about women and women's sexuality, which is to say that writing the book in 1973, I was fully aware of what women's liberation implied. The book is an uneasy, masculine shrinking from a a future of female equality. And like, Stephen King, for sure, has some pervy ass, objectifying moments in his books and adaptations. But I do mm-hmm. think ultimately he has a good heart and is yeah. trying to, yeah. um, to, to portray women um, in a good light in his works. Uh, he, you know, he hates the, um, uh, the Kubrick version of the shining. Cause, and he said it was the most misogynistic film he's ever seen. Oh, really? Oh, I knew he hated it, but I didn't know. Like, yeah. And he said that, um, he said it's because in the book, like, Wendy... I was surprised when I read, read The Shining because, like, Wendy is, like, the hero. She's, like, the main character and the hero of the book. Mm. It's all about, like, Wendy trying to get her kid um, out of this house with her, like, abusive husband, you know? And in the mm-hmm. he's, like, in the movie, she's, like, reduced to, like, this screaming, like, yeah. whining woman. That almost makes, like, the kid the hero a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> this child. This movie did make me think about that Gia Tolentino quote, I think, from, that we talked about for Drop Dead Gorgeous, about how, like, horrible and crazy it is to be a teenage girl, which yeah. I like. So how do you feel about the opening scene? Um, I totally, like, read some essays and critics who were like, it's objectifying these young underage girls. Mm-hmm. But I think it was like, I think the contrast with Carrie's discovering her... Uh, her period is like, mm-hmm. it's like a visceral body horror mm-hmm. or kind of gets at like how a lot of being like a, a person with like a uterus is like terrible blood and, right. um, how unglamorous that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. what do you think? Well, I thought that, I mean, I, I 
don't like really know, but I feel like it is very like porny, and then it almost like tricks you into being like, oh, like look at these like sexy teenagers, and then it's like, oh wait, I, I like that it almost like traps you into uh, like mm-hmm. into thinking a certain certain way, and then being like, oh nope, that way is fucked up. Like, don't think like that, sort of. Yeah. Which I think, like, a lot of movies, like, about teenage girlhood do that, where they, like, trick, they, like, almost, like, trick you. Like, Trojan horse. Or they, like, reveal that you're, yeah, or they, like, reveal that your own way of thinking is, like, fucked up because of the culture that you're in. Mm Mm-hmm. What are your final thoughts and ratings, Mackenzie? Um... I really like this movie. It holds up. Um, and the jump scare at the end, like, I still, ter- like, I jumped. And I knew it was coming. I was like, any moment now, <laughs> the jump yeah. scare is going to happen. But I still was so afraid. So um, I'm going to rate it, like, an 8. Yeah, I'm going to give this a 9. I, I, nice. I think it just, like, really holds up. It's both, um, like, fun, well done. It has this dreamy quality, too, that I really love. Um, I really, uh, can recommend the book. It's like a a short book. (laughs) Um, it's really, really good. There's a lot of extra stuff at the end that doesn't make it into the movie. Uh, yeah. And I think this is probably my favorite Stephen King adaptation and property. Cool. And you know, from this, you can tell he really likes images of, uh, vengeful young women with superpowers. (laughs) Oh, so that will bring us to sort of our next movie. Firestarter, hmm. which is about a vengeful long, young child baby. <laughs> <laughs> a young Drew Barrymore. Okay, Firestarter is from 1984. Annie McGee and his wife, Vicky, are the only surviving participants of a government experiment involving hallucinogen dosing. As a result, their daughter, Charlie, is born with pyrokinetic abilities and Andy develops the ability to control minds. Charlie's powers put her family in the crosshairs of the shop, the mysterious government agency responsible for the experiments. The shop will stop at nothing to contain Charlie, whose abilities could one day rival nuclear power. After Vicky is murdered, Andy and Charlie go on the run. They are kidnapped by an exterminator working for the shop named John Rainbird. In order to survive and escape the confines of the shop, Andy and Charlie both must use their powers and trust in each other. LOL. <laughs> I couldn't think of how to end that. I was like, uh. <laughs> in, a fl- in a glorious show. Please. Uh, <laughs> ex- a lot of pyrotechnics. Oh my god, the ending. Uh, it was so the fireballs. I kind of loved it. it. I, I was bet- like, where are these fireballs coming from? I know. I, I liked I, it too. I think it was the best part. Yeah. <laughs> at, at that point, I was like, the campier it goes, the better. So I know. It needed more campy life. It yeah. needed to go farther. Yeah. I couldn't help also but thinking about how Drew Barrymore probably could only act like four hours at a time. <laughs> child labor laws. <laughs> and like they're like, okay, like today is like we're getting shots of Drew standing in front of the fiery burning building. You know, it's fireballs coming. <laughs> you know what else? Something I noticed too. Drew Barrymore, God bless her. I hope she was safe during this shooting because she seems legitimately surprised 
by things happening around her sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like there was like a fireball that like made her jump. Yeah, I know. Uh, or something that I, like popped up behind her yeah, and she like the, kind of jumped. I know exactly what you're talking about. The bar- the barn was burning yeah. down and the beam fell right behind her and she jumped. She, she I could jumped. tell she was afraid. Yeah. I hope there was someone on set watching after. Drew Barrymore had a really tough life, you know? Like only a few years after this was she like addicted to drugs. Fuck, and, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. Really hard life. Um, but a very adorable child performer. Yeah, so cute. Uh, I liked how at times she, this sounds shitty to say after talking about her being an addict, but she does seem kind of drunk, but little kids just seem drunk sometimes too, you know? Uh, it, they do. They they all are. She mm. also looks like a, like a full on adult sometimes, which is weird. I think it's just the way they dress her. She looks like, like from behind. Yeah. <laughs> she just looks like, and her hair. I'm like, what's happening? Who gave this child up like a perm? Oh my god, her hair. <laughs> Stephen King was like, why? Stephen King hated this movie, but we'll get to that. But he was like, why does her hair move when she uses her powers? I did love that, though. I was like... It's cool. It looks cool, Stephen. Yeah. That's why. And it's very, like, 80s, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. So, th- I read this book as well, but this is my first time watching the movie, and in the movie, you're like, oh, wow. I can't believe Stephen King didn't sue the Duffer Brothers, you know? <laughs> and it was like, he took it like, oh, I'm so flattered, like, they're inspired by me, but this is like really responsible for a lot of stuff that is in Stranger Things. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, like, the music, the powers, the... Government the, agency. The government agency. Trying to get this telekinetic... And it, like Stranger Things, this movie tries to, like, do a bunch of different shit that you're like, wait, what's happening? Like, why... Yeah. <laughs> why is there so many things happening and, like, not done well and sort of dragging out yes yes for sure love you stranger things but <laughs> i feel like the mom dies so suddenly and it's just like okay mom's gone bye yeah moving on mm-hmm. that is so weird and they kind of like trick you into thinking that charlie killed her for the first like part 20 of- minutes yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh which i would have been kind of like more interesting too if charlie accidentally I, killed I think her mom. so too like because i was thinking for the first like half of the movie or whatever i was like is charlie like actually gonna turn out bad like What's going mm. on? I did think that, but this could have been a good origin story for like a crazy girl who has yeah, like Dark Phoenix or whatever. Yeah, and you know, I put this at the top of our notes, but watching both of these movies made me think about how, like, in our culture, we have so many movies and books and TV shows about like young men coming into superpowers, and it's like very triumphant, or like they learn a lot about like responsibility or like taking care of other people mm-hmm. like Harry Potter or Spider-Man mm-hmm. or Superman. Mm-hmm. But like the most famous stories I can think about like young women developing superpowers, it's like painful and terrible mm-hmm. and like comes at a terrible cost to them. Mm-hmm. And like Carrie and Firestarter are kind of like good examples of that. Like, And they don't end triumphantly. They're like ending worse than they started. Yeah. It's like they it's never almost get like out of their sad circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think Especially when you're dealing with, like, telekinetic powers and stuff like that. Things that are, like, sort of witchy to begin with. Mm. I think, like, a lot of the times they get sad endings. Yeah, they're, like, they're, they're, they're great power. Instead of, like, coming with, like, great responsibility, it's, like, comes with, like, great tragedy. Yeah. And um, also there are just less, like, we have so many freaking women superheroes. But, like, how many women superhero movies do we have? Yeah, it's true, too. I just watched the Avengers on Friday and I'm like so pissed about it. Anyway, 
Uh, wait, the original, the number no, one, the, the first one? Endgame, where oh. like I love the shot where all the women get on screen at the very last battle. Like yeah. in the, when I first saw in theaters, I was like bawling at that. But it's like it, it like I'm because I'm so happy there are so many, but I'm so pissed that not like a single one has their own movie except for Captain I know. Marvel. Sorry. I know, and like, oh, we're getting a Black Widow movie? Cool, that would have been fun like 10 years ago. Yeah. When I would have been interested in exactly. it. Exactly, and now Nat is dead. Like, I don't give a fuck. How about, like, Shuri gets her own movie? Please, yeah, God, that would be for amazing. Sure. Or Scarlet uh, Witch. Or, like, uh, the Wasp. I don't know. Maybe yeah, not the Wasp. But. I know. It's very annoying. It's very, very annoying. And we have like eight Spider-Mans. <laughs> <laughs> so many. There's so many Spider-Man. Um, so this movie, had, in comparison to um, Carrie, which has a mother-daughter relationship, has a father-daughter relationship that's very close. Uh, I was laughing because it's like almost romantic at times. Yeah, I did think that uh, when he the dad Andy sort of like grabs Charlie and it's like I'm crazy about you yeah like, that yeah. was the part where I was like oh and I, all of the men in this movie are just like sort of thirsty for Charlie which is also yeah! very weird oh so I my think God. like just the fact that Rainbird the villain is like grooming her as a like pedophile yes. I'm I'm not sure if like that was like what they were actually explicitly aiming for but it's definitely what actually explicitly came like through the screen at my face but like yeah i think that sort of just oh it bled so into creepy. all the characters yeah Weirdly. yeah like when like rainbird talks about her and he's like she's a beautiful like young woman or yeah. whatever the fuck he says about her <laughs> and in the book he wants charlie to he wants to look into charlie's eyes where she dies because like they cook up this kind of like Native American backstory for him where mm-hmm. he believes the power will return to him, which is probably not very culturally sensitive of Stephen King, but he loves that shit. Um, so that's the backstory and not just that he's horny for a little girl, mm-hmm. but that's what exactly what it comes off. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Drew Barrymore, God bless her. When she's like realizing that John is bad too. <laughs> That was kind of funny. Uh, it's so funny also to talk about like people with superpowers. I love that the dad to use his mind control powers has to like grab his head. He has mm-hmm. to be like as dramatic about it as possible. Mm-hmm. And I love like the sound effects where it's like, yeah, <laughs> when he's using his power. Yeah. I love that. I like it. <laughs> Did you ever catch why they had so many horses at this place? Uh, no. But I, I think it like Charlie is definitely now horse girl. She yeah, she's like a horse the OG girl. Horse girl. <laughs> she's like, I'm releasing all the horses. I kind of remember from the book that her favorite horse is the necromancer horse, huh. and there's like a whole thing about that. But can't really recall. Read it like three years ago. Um, I can't relate to horse stuff. Are you into horses? I feel like okay, you are a little. I was into horses. Okay, I read all of the Marguerite Henry books. Misty Shindigi. No, what? No. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my god, that's okay. Uh, and it's funny because I grew up with horses and had horses as pets, but yeah. I was so much more interested in like the fictional idea, the cultural place of the horse in the girl's life, mm-hmm. rather than my actual horses who like shit a lot. And <laughs> you know, like horses don't show any emotion, and I'll fight anyone who says otherwise. Like they're not like dogs; they just like walk around. 
they don't recognize you. It's so I don't know. Maybe my horse didn't. And I'm not I'm not very sentimental about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, what was your... My favorite instance of Charlie using her powers was uh, lighting the bad boyfriend on fire. In I the, agree. That she's was like, I can help part. it. Yeah. <laughs> he was so then, bad. So in He was the, bad. In the airport that um, Charlie and her dad are uh, hiding out in... She witnesses a man telling a pregnant, like, girlfriend that he doesn't, he's like, you slept with other people. She's, the girlfriend's, like, crying. She's like, I swear I didn't, I don't know, I don't know what to do, I'm all alone. And he's like, get away from me, like, I don't know what to tell you. And he's being a total dick. And then Charlie sets his boots on fire. And later she's like, I killed him. Yeah. It's funny. She's like, they have her like have some dialogue about how she's killed people, and she's such a little girl. It's like I killed people. Like, <laughs> uh, she was like pretty good. She's good. She's good. Yeah. I wish that actually the movie was more about her and like yeah. more from her perspective. Uh, yeah, because I think it would have just been better. Because even when she's like the focal point of the scene, which she is for like almost all of them, it's never like from her perspective. I think. Yeah, exactly. It's always these like old men looking at her, which is weird. <laughs> she might. It may have been served a little better for her being a bit older too. Yeah. Um, and she might have been able to be like more of an active character rather than just like this little girl who's being shuffled, shuttled around right. uh, by her dad. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, I wonder if the Stephen King universe, Carrie, would hook up with uh, Charlie and they could start (laughs) the Stephen King (laughs) X-Men. That'd be cool. Who else would be in it? Uh, Just Stephen King people. Pennywise. (laughs) Oh, wait, no. uh, Danny from The Shining, who's psychic. Mm-hmm. I'm actually just started reading Doctor Sleep, um, which is the sequel to The Shinnin. Oh, uh, I'll let you know if it's good. I'll talk about it later. Okay. I've never read. The, so I've only read The Dark Tower, and it was so bad. You gotta read. You gotta read Carrie. Okay, I will read Carrie. Um, this is a pretty good one star, <laughs> one star review of Firestarter. Our family watched it, thinking of it as a quote classic. Was sorry we put it on. <laughs> Extremely violent, sad storyline, and kind of pointless, really. Should have watched something else. Our family time is pretty precious to us. (laughs) (laughs) This movie ruined a nice afternoon or evening (laughs) for a family. I I hate when people say movies are pointless. I'm like, they're never, I don't know. I never feel like a movie is pointless. You You didn't get the, enjoy the point. You know, like you not enjoying the point is different than it not having a point. I remember in high school, I showed my best friend Amelie (gasps) and she was at the end. She was like, I liked it. But like, what was the point? And I was like, it looked cool. I was like, we're not friends anymore. (laughs) She cracked open the creme brulee. I was like, love, love is the point. (laughs) Exactly. Do you want to read Stephen King's review of this movie? Yeah. So King's final consensus on Firestarter was... It's flavorless. It's like cafeteria mashed potatoes. There are things that happen in terms of special effects in that movie that make no sense whatsoever. Why this kid's hair blows every time she starts fire is totally beyond my understanding. 
Imagine it's like I'm adapting a Stephen King like novel. Like mm-hmm. I love his work. I revere it. I'm making it into a movie, and Stephen King sees it and he's like, "This sucked." Oh <laughs> like my God. I, it was basically his book just on screen with actors, and he was like, "This was bad." <laughs> <laughs> you did a bad job. Yeah, like I wonder. So you read the book? You did. Yeah. How was the book good? I mean, it goes more into like Andy's character. You get a lot more of Andy time. A lot more of Charlie's thoughts. John Rainbird is a lot scarier and like creepy, mm-hmm. um, okay. and uh, you know, still not one of his best. I think, but yeah. it was still enjoyable and fun to read. Okay, um, I thought. I mean, I thought it was a good adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're re- they're remaking it uh, oh. next year. Hopefully, they cut about it. Like the thing about this movie compared to Carrie, like Carrie is so tight. Even though, yeah. like not that it, the much. pacing is so quick yeah you know, not in a good like, way and like not that much happens but it's all necessary and in this like so i was like it this movie's freaking long it's like it's two, hours. two hours long it yeah. does not need to be two hours long. i was like almost falling asleep by the end yeah it just, it's pretty repetitive and like i said they try to cram so much into it that is just not needed make the the chase when they're on the run more exciting Make them, you know, like, getting into confinement faster. Right. I don't know. Like, how many scenes do you need of, like, them, Charlie being in a lab, like, Blown and her shit. testing, like, her power techniques? One. One. Or, like, how many times do they have to run away, like, get caught, run away, get caught, and run away? It's like, we yeah. don't need... Why? It's like the Wolf of Wall Street, where they just keep playing the same scene over and over again. I'm like, this is not good. Repetitive not good. scenes did not a good film make. Yeah, you're just hitting us over the head. I will give it a five. I'll give it a five and a half because I think I've rated other things five that I hated more. So, Okay, I gotta boost it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we watched no matter what. Yeah, and it was like, it was fun. Like, I, ha- I think I'll have fond memories of the images of some of the, uh, like, the fireball scenes, etc. And Drew Barrymore yeah. is such a cute little baby. She's such a cute little baby. <laughs> five five stars for Drew Barrymore as a baby. Yeah. Um, it would really help us out if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ChickFlixPod and email us at ChickFlixPodcast at gmail.com. Our next episode will air on September 16th and we'll be talking about the Stephen King adap- adaptations, Pet Cemetery, and Cujo. And if you leave us a review, I will write and read on the air a very short story about you as a Stephen King character. Oh, my God. Wow. I just made that up on the spot. Uh, Chick Flicks <laughs> is researched and written by Bridget Hovell and edited by Mackenzie Chapman. Many thanks to Tim Greek Carlson for our music. And thank you for listening to Chick Flicks. Bye. Bye. Thanks.